We're, uh, today's the last Sunday of a series we've been in on the Psalms where we've um, kind of posed a question, what does it mean to pray the Psalms as a tool for helping us to see um, and experience um, the presence of God and to grow in our, our courage, our willingness um, to profess that and to name that. Um, today we're going to look at Psalm 99 um, as a final tool um, for us. And that prayer we prayed, Austin um, wrote, and um, it already kind of got us into exploring this psalm a little bit. Um, so I'm going to read this, and what I want you to do is pay attention to what, how it describes God. All right, what do we learn from God? And then we're going to just popcorn a little bit um, in what we see and hear. All right, the Lord is King. Let the peoples tremble. God sits enthroned upon the cherubim, let the earth quake. The Lord is great, and Zion is exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. Mighty king, lover of justice, you've established equity. You've executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Extol the Lord our God. Worship at God's footstool. Holy is he. Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel also was among those who called on his name. They cried to the Lord, and God answered them. God spoke to them in the pillar of cloud. They kept God's decrees and the statutes that God gave them. O Lord our God, you answered them. You were a forgiving God to them, but an avenger of their wrongdoing. Extol the Lord our God. Worship at her holy mountain. For the Lord our God is holy. This is the word of the Lord. What do we, what do we, what does this psalmist profess about the character of God? Go for it. Holy. Three times. Just. Lover of justice. Right? Forgiving. Yeah. Uh. Righteous. Love. Amen. Yeah. Terrifying. Terrifying. Causing tremble. Yeah. Huh? Mighty. Thanks. Yeah. Equitable. One who listens, right? And speaks. Now think about where is God located in this passage? Kind of a weird question, but I think it's an important one. Where is God at? In this passage, where does the psalmist see God or place God? Mount Zion, right? Pillar of clouds tells a story of that. On top of angels, cherubim, right? God's place, this God with all these characteristics that you just named, 
is placed on a mountain, which is actually a hill, a small hill, just outside of Jerusalem, Zion. God is placed in Israel, right? We see all these characters of Israel, priests of Israel, which was a very small nation in the grand scheme of things at the time. God is in a temple or a tabernacle, it seems, um, which again was really not that important in the global landscape of the time. And even this vision of God being on the cherubim, those were carved structures on top of what was called the Holy of Holies, inside the temple where God's presence was believed to dwell. And it was a little bit smaller than this table. And so you have this profession of God being on a small hill, an insignificant nation, a small little table, doing all this global reigning and ruling and bringing about justice and equity and forgiving and listening, bringing accountability and loving. And all of this, it seems, um, is held in this phrase that we hear three times, that God is holy. God is reigning and ruling and forgiving and loving and is doing that in a very particular place with particular people in their story. Um, in some ways, it's almost like when you find out you have an ancestor in Nebraska on Ancestry.com or something, and it's like a really big deal to you, and then you tell other people and they're like, okay, um, right? Like, this can feel that way. This is a strange story that means a lot. Um, to some. As Christians, and this has been alluded to um, beautifully already in the prayers and, and some of the stuff Rob shared, and that in Jesus Christ, another local life in a small, insignificant town of Nazareth, um, and in his transfiguration and crucifixion and resurrection and ascension, we see the glory of God. And that somehow in his life, this space that was believed to hold the presence of God is opened up to all of creation. A spirit, a holy spirit, was let loose. Um, and it's been embedded into um, the world. So this is what I want to talk about today. How do we have our eyes opened, our hearts willing um, to see and name the holy. What is the holy? Um, if life is embedded with the holy because of God and God's spirit, this holy spirit, what does that mean? Um, when Ari was a girl, her family had a boat. And they would take that boat. I don't know how long they had the boat. I guess that doesn't matter. But they, take, they would take that boat and they would go out. They lived near um, the ocean. And so they would ride this boat around in the ocean. And one day, when she was a young girl, they decided that they were going to go during whale watching season. 
And so they got in the boat, which they normally did, or they did from time to time, and they went out on to Dana Point Harbor and kind of cruised around looking for whales. And they looked and they looked and they looked. Um, it's a true story, even though it kind of goes along with how stories are told. Um, and after a while, out in the distance, they saw a whale. And the whale was kind of swimming along the top of the, of the ocean. And so what do you do if you see a whale and you ride in a boat with your three daughters and your wife? You drive closer to that whale, right? You, you, you go after that whale. And so Ari's dad did just that and began to take the boat to get a closer look. And at some point in that journey, Ari says she can remember clearly that whale turning and coming straight for their boat. To the point where she remembers as a child looking off to the side and seeing that whale um, as close almost as you can imagine. And seeing that whale go under that boat and close enough to where she remembers the barnacles attached to its body jumping straight out of the water, most of its body in the air, and splashing down um, near the boat. Now, what do you do with a moment like that? <laughs> right? You, all kinds of questions if you want, right? Why did that boat, or that whale, come at that boat? Why did that whale not just knock over that boat? Why did that man drive that boat towards that whale? <laughs> and you could do that for days. But at some point, you have to just stop and mark that moment as holy. Ari said, even last night, I said, tell me that story again. I need to tell it. She said, at the end of telling it, it was so scary. And it was so incredible. When we say the word holy, what do we, what do we mean? Um, if the holy is embedded throughout our life, what are the moments that we might mark, take a step back, mark, and just appreciate for what they are? Um, I, think, I think one, one kind of aspect of holy is, is this deep, Respect. The moments in our life where we just have to pause and we just have a deep respect for what's going on. Um, sometimes those are at the beginning and at the end of life, right? Our transitions into life and our transitions out of life are moments where we can go on and on with our plans for how those are supposed to go. We can go on and on about when that is to happen and when it's not to happen. But at some point, you take a step back and you look at those moments and you mark them as holy with a deep, deep respect. Three times, Ari and I have gone to the hospital and we've come home having had different experiences each time, um, different plans each time, welcoming a child into the world. And we could, we could talk about 
our, our birth plan and we could, you know, predict how we want it to go. We could say what the best way to do it is. Um, <laughs> but at some point you have to just take a step back and you just look at this and you go, this is holy ground. Um, a number of years ago, we had a couple of women in our church named Bernadette and Jan. And um, in a short period of time, both of them um, passed away, moved from this life to the next. And um, each of them in their unique ways, our community was able to come around them and be with them. Um, as Bernadette approached um, death, we didn't even know she was. Um, and with Jan, we, we knew all, we all knew well what was going on. And we, we, we tried to figure out how do we mark this? We can't figure it out. We can't change it. But we can mark this and we can lean into this as holy. And there's an incredible chapter in this book. I think Missy wrote it um, about that. Um, Rob and Jordan organizing a prayer vigil on, their, on Warren and Jan's front lawn. Um, a group of women gathering in a room. I wasn't there, so I won't tell that story. But um, pretty awesome things said about that experience. Um, holy, deep, deep respect. But it's not just at our transitions in life. It's, it's when we see a friend really stuck in their job maybe or having challenges with life, their, maybe their school or their work or their kids or their parents, kids with their parents. And you want to come alongside of them and you want to like help them fix it, right? You want to get them out of it. And at some point, you just have to take a step back and watch your friend navigate it because they're in holy ground. And you just have to have a deep respect for whatever it is that they're going through and they're grappling with. Um, what's, what's another aspect to holiness? Um, I think that, that story of the whale um, conveys that if that's a holy moment, holy moments are not generally the place where you, you experience in them and you say, wow, I'm pretty legit. You know? Wow, I am super important. Generally, those are not the holy moments. Now, I can imagine, honestly, I really can imagine someone having an experience um, where they're doing their own self-work and reflection, maybe with a friend or a counselor or a therapist, they do come to this moment of, whoa, I matter. And that being an incredibly holy moment for some. Um, but generally, when we experience the holy, we, we recognize in a real vivid way our space and our place in this amazingly big universe that we live in. I was, I was, I read this book a, a little while ago, but I just, I started it a little while ago, but I just finished it. So some of you remember that I had been reading um, Astrophysics for, um, what's it called? Astrophysics for those in a hurry, I think, or something like that. Yeah, people in a hurry. Um, 
And I'm no scientist, but it's, so it's been an interesting read. I suggest it to anyone who is not a scientist and wants kind of an easy read. Though, you learn about some scary things when you read this type of book. Um, you read about this thing called dark matter that maybe many of you know about already. That 85% of all matter that has the gravitational pull to hold this whole thing together, we don't even know where it is. We don't even know what it is. We just kind of mathematically assume it's there because the whole galaxy is not flying open into outer space. That's a little terrifying. Um, you learn that there are more stars in the sky than there are grains of sand in any beach on our Earth. And that each one of those stars is like a sun. And you can fill in the dots after that. Um, what is possible out there? And so you learn these types of things. Um, and then one night you sit on a hill or, I don't know, on a shore. And you look into the sky. And you look at the stars. And you think, wow, this is With all that's going on in my life and in my world, there is so much more. So much more. Maybe it's in a worship service where you, where you are gathered with a lot of people singing songs outside of yourself. Kind of like we did this morning. Um, How great thou art. Or, or whatever the song is, but... But those experiences where your, your space and, and the scope of your life, you, you sense the smallness of it. I think you might be on holy ground. Um, maybe it's when you've been teaching a student, mentoring a mentee, raising a child, and you hit that moment where you watch them and you go, they don't need me like they used to. And it's in a totally appropriate moment worth celebrating. And yet it's a moment where you feel, oh, your smallness. That they're becoming something um, that is beyond me. Um, a beautiful, holy moment. The last thing I would suggest about holy moments is that they're kind of weird. Kind of strange moments. Um, the word in, in, the, in the Old Testament in the Hebrew is kadosh, and it's kind of this like this other, right? Um, and one way to say that is kind of like God is other than us, right? And like, it's so true. So much bigger and more powerful and loving and forgiving than anything we could ever muster, muster up. But to be other means to be experienced at some point as kind of odd, right? And so holy moments sometimes are just really odd moments. Um, weird practices. Uh, as you, most of you know, I coach Little League, and I'm coaching right now Zach's team. And I'm coaching with these two guys who, um, one of them's name is Mike, and I learned this about Mike when I started coaching him. He's coaching his niece. His niece is on our team. And so uh, we decide to coach together. And 
we were talking about scheduling and this, that, and the other. And he's like, one thing about this, Josh, you need to know, I don't schedule things on Sunday. And I was like, well, I've heard you talk and I've seen you drink and I've seen your practice. I know you're not like Mormon or like anything like that. Like, what's, what's going on here? He's like, I'm not a religious guy. Don't have any room for that. But I don't do anything on Sundays. And I thought, what a weird thing. <laughs> you know? But kind of holy. Um, I had a lawyer tell me the same thing one time. He went as far as say he's an atheist, but he wishes our whole culture would set aside Sundays still. Um, the other coach, his name's Billy. And uh, he has no kids on the team. He's just a buddy of Mike's who wanted to hang out. And he used to play baseball. So we said, okay. Um, and so we met the first practice. And he says, to, we're, we're doing the normal hobnobbing things. And like, what do you do? What do you do? And I'm always in a dilemma at that point, right? I'm like, okay, what do I do? How far do I want to go with this? Do I tell him I'm a teacher? And then it's just kind of easy and we move on. Or do I tell him I'm a pastor? And then you just never know what's going to happen at that point. And so... I said to Billy, well, I'm a pastor of a church. And he's like, oh, I'm Jewish. My wife's Christian. You two would get along great. <laughs> and I'm like, how do you know? Like, all I told you was that I'm a pastor. Um, and he's like, she always tries to get me to come, but I tell her I'm just an Easter and a Christmas kind of guy. That's what I do. I'm like, all right. I'm like, well, what do you do, Billy? He's like, I'm involved at the racetrack. I, I buy and sell horses at the racetrack. And I'm like, oh, okay, interesting. So we begin to talk, and we're coaching. And Billy, he's great. You all would love him. He's so fun and so friendly. Um, and all of a sudden, Mike texts me about two weeks later, and it's a, it's a link to a podcast. And so I'm like, what the heck? So I, I click on this podcast, and it's Billy, and he does a weekly podcast on horse ownership. At the racetrack. And the first two minutes are him telling his co-host all about our Little League team and how much fun he's having. And he's like, oh, I'm, my, I'm coaching my friend Mike and this and that and the other about Mike. And he's like, and the other coach is Josh. And he's a pastor. And I'm just bracing myself like, what's next, you know? And he's like, great guy. And he just kind of moves on, you know? <laughs> I, I talked to him later. I'm like, well, hey, I heard your podcast. It's amazing, you know. And um, he gets like a million downloads every week on this crazy podcast. I had no idea who I was with. Um, <laughs> holy things. I mean, I joke about my role as a pastor. It is kind of a weird role in, if you think about it. But, but so is being a saint. So is professing faith in Christ and trying to live according to a different way, a different kingdom. It's strange. It's weird. Um, it's holy. Um, and, you know, nature is full of all kinds of weird things. Um, birds have magnets in them that help them fly straight. Do you know this? I'm learning this. That's weird. That's really weird. Um, if you just start looking at like creation, yeah. Thank you. Maggots too. 
I mean, think about creation and the weird things, right? An ostrich's eye is bigger than its brain, right? That's kind of weird. What? Okay, all right. I'll, I'll. You don't even know how weird this creation you live in is, people. Uh, Here's, here's some cited sources, Heather. <laughs> From Astrophysics for People in a Hurry on page... Um, <laughs> there's more bacteria living and working in one centimeter of your colon than the number of people who have ever lived in the world. That's weird. And cited source. Yeah. You don't believe me, but I cited the source. <laughs> Neil, what's his name? Come on, you guys know him. He's popular. All right, we'll, we'll just stop and hopefully all be able to acknowledge that creation is quite odd at points. That there are strange things. And I'm not suggesting that um, an anti-rational approach to life here, because I feel that press right now from all of you. Um, but, I, but I am suggesting that there are moments where, yeah, we might be able to stop and try to analyze and learn every little fact about a situation. Again, like a why a whale doesn't knock over a boat. Why a whale even comes at a boat. Um, but at some point, there's this non-rational um, space where we have to stop and we have to mark something. We don't have to, I suppose, but we're invited to. This is holy ground. Um, and the Psalms proclaim to us that God is a holy God, a God who is worth heavy respect. In the most, I think, interesting way, the scriptures profess a God whose grandeur can cause us to feel the humility and smallness of our place in the world, but yet who sees fit to be small with us, whether that be at a table with cherubim on it or in a life like Jesus of Nazareth. And so when, when, when any of us, we, we, we have these hopes and dreams about our life, we have all these expectations of what they're going to look like, right? You get these as a child, these ideas about what your life's going to be. And inevitably, each of us, we get to that point where we look at our life and we think, oh, it's not what I expected. It's not looking like I thought it would look. It's not taking shape the way I thought it might take shape. And we churn over that and we grieve that at points. Maybe we celebrate that quickly at points. But no matter what, what it is, the situation for us, you also, we also can come to a place where we come to terms with the oddness of our life. The weirdness of our life. And we can take a step back and we can mark it. As holy ground. 
it may not be what we expected. It may be quite odd and uncomfortable. Um, the invitation of the psalm is that God is holy, that God's spirit is let loose upon this creation, that God's holiness is embedded in the very fabric of things, which includes your story and mine. And that when we have those moments where we just think our life seems odd, we're invited to take a step back, stop analyzing it, stop trying to figure it out, start, stop trying to predict our way into some different experience, but just to mark it as holy in the presence of a loving, forgiving, nurturing God who listens and speaks and forgives and holds us accountable when we need it. Um, the psalmist um, gives some clues, I think, as to like natural responses to a holy God like this. Um, let them praise your great and awesome name. A response to the holy is to just stop and praise and to thank God's name. And God's name is, is I am, right? Which means I'll be who I'll be. Which means I will be where I will be. You can't hold me down. You can't predict. You can't manage. And the psalmist says we praise that name. It does odd, different, unexpected things. Um, um, extol or magnify the Lord. Worship at God's footstool or, or bow low. A few weeks back, Peter was leading us in music and we were, I think we were singing Holy is the Lord. And he said something along the lines of, it's funny, it says we lift up our hands, but nobody's lifting up their hands. And so we kind of all laughed and then we like, some of us put our hands up. And then the next line said, and we bow down. And then I, I felt like there's this like awkward, like, oh boy, do we have to do that too? Um, but the psalmist suggests that praising God and bowing low are appropriate responses um, to the holy. Um, and I wonder, I've, I've told you about this exercise class Ari and I are doing, and, and one of the things we do is the child's pose, like stretch. Um, I think it's a yoga move. We don't do yoga, but you, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Get on. I'm going to do it. Just vulnerability here. All right. So, so you, you're, you're here, right? And you just stretch and you lean back. And if you have back pain like me, it's amazing. Um, but it's this humble, like as you dwell there, I mean, your vulnerability is felt. Um, and it's an appropriate response to the holy to bow low. Um, when I was growing up in church, we used to, our, uh, our pastors, when we would have a time of prayer, they would encourage us to take the posture that we were comfortable with. And I think it would be fun to implement something like this in here. And those options were to stand, those options were to sit, and those options were to turn in our chair and to bow low um, at God's, God's presence in prayer. We're going to come to the table now together, which is um, a practice of the holy.
God coming to the hidden margins of our life. And meeting us there. Um, It's a place where we might experience um, the holiness of God and find a deep respect for a God who gives of God's self, who gathers all sorts of people around a table. Um, I think it's a powerful moment because it's so close here for us. It's like it's like mountainside, right? But then to think about all the churches around the world who are gathering at similar tables this morning. And if we think about that and we celebrate that, all of a sudden we can feel the holiness of this moment that we are small. And this is a humble offering. And yet a, a loving, forgiving God meets us here. Um, and it's also kind of weird that we do this each week. Um, that we come here together. We do all the work that it takes to get here um, when I was kind of finishing this sermon, I saw a guy I knew riding his bike, you know, around the neighborhood. I'm like, oh, that looks pretty good to do on a Sunday morning. Um, but we come here. Um, and profess and remember that this, not unlike other places necessarily, because God's spirit has been let loose on the world. But different, in a different way, this is holy ground. 